Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, I am excited today, thrilled to welcome my guest, Kara Golden. She is the founder and CEO of Hintwater, the leader in unsweetened flavored water. And I've been following her entrepreneurial journey for a while, and I'm excited to unpack her story, her challenges, and successes. Also pretty excited as my kids absolutely love it. My two and a half year old loves the apple juice. He literally is all about that. Um, so let's get to it. Kara Golden, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, I love it. Awesome, I am so happy and thrilled and honored and humbled to have you joining us today. So let's start, let's talk about the early part of your career before the hint water. Let's bring it all the way back to your first job at Alphabet Toy Store in Scottsdale when you were 14 years old, buying toys for them. Let's talk about what you learned in that first job. I don't know if it was your first job, but maybe your first kind of real job. What did you learn there that really set you up for the world of entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I, it, it's funny because I, I talk about that as my first kind of real job, although I've been uh, corrected by it, since my book came out by a few people who have said, wait, I set up a camp when, with you when we were 12. And what about that? Or, you know, I was always kind of doing stuff. And I think more than anything, just to keep me busy. I was the last of five kids. So I, I always wanted to be older and get what my brothers, I felt cheated and ripped off by not having enough money. Uh, you know, when my brothers and sisters could go to the mall and all of that. So, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's a kind of a funny story that when I got the job at the toy store, I got it because my mom used to go to this fabric store next door to this toy store. And, uh, I don't know about you, but the fabric store just would bore me to tears, right? And so I'd do everything to get out of the fabric store, and there was a toy store, and I'm like, I'm just going to go to the convenient. toy store. Just come find me over there. <laughs> and uh, so I started doing that a few times, and the lady who owned the store said, hey, do you want a job? And I said, a job? I'm 14 years old. I didn't tell her I was 14, but I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, maybe. What would I do? And she said, you can do the cash register if you want to hmm. work on Sundays. And I mean, that's like a dream job, right? For a 14 year old. What were they paying back? And I don't want to date you or kind of give away the age here, but Scottsdale, Arizona, 14 years old, cashier. Yeah, what do you think I was making? I, I, I have to I, think. I think you were making at least, at least $7 an hour. I think I was making eight, actually. It's funny. And I'd right, be great on the I prices, was... right? I'd always be good on the prices, right? I'm telling you. 
Yeah, me too. I was just, but I think I was, I think I was about eight, but yeah. So anyway, the cash register just, you had me at the cash register and it was a toy store. And so I thought it'd be great. And I, I would learn how to do those credit card machines and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, just more than anything, people would come in on Sundays cause I was not just doing the cash register, but I was the only one in the store. So people would come in and ask me, okay, what do I buy for my kid? That's 12 that has everything. And what I figured out is just have like a go-to plan, have, have 10 things and you just say the same t 10 things, right. That are easy so that you could get the sale. What's hot, and, what's popular, uh, what you know is going to move. Yeah. Right. And, and then I started saying to Nancy, the owner of the store, I said, you know, we really, there's a lot of things in here that you don't need to buy again because nobody really wants them. And I don't mean to, you know, burst your bubble, but, and, and it was at that moment that she said, would you come with me to the buying show? And I mean, I'm 14. I remember. I mean, like a pig and shit. You're like, oh my right. God, I get to, I, I get to go to the toy expo. Like, so this is your first business trip. And so I go to the toy, <laughs> I go to the toy fair and, you know, basically, I mean, I, I remember going to the to toy fair and looking at all different, you know, things to potentially buy. And she would tell me why she couldn't buy those things. And she started talking to me about margin and hmm. about at 14. You know, categories and things. And I remember coming home and talking to my parents at dinner and I said, yeah, it was really cool. I learned about margins and I learned about... You know, all this, and my dad's like, you're 14. I mean, Who this is you? just, <laughs> right? And, and I mean, my dad was like, D did you, I mean, have you shown him your ID? And I'm like, dad, I don't have an ID. I'm 14. I can't right? even drive you. And, and, you know, <laughs> so, and he's, I said, she just doesn't even want to know that I'm not 16 years old. So anyway, I mean, there were so many things that I learned and, and more than anything, I think, I also, I think back on that time, and of course, I'm still smiling as I tell these stories. I just have, I just have always had a good time. I think anybody who knew me as a kid, I just always, like, while while people were going right, if it didn't sound like that was the right thing to do, I just went left, right? I just said, eh, I'll, I'll see you later. You know, I just don't feel like doing it. And I didn't. And so I think that that was the same thing for me even, you know, for, from a career standpoint, or even working at the toy store, it's just, I wasn't doing what everybody did. I just did whatever I felt and like they zigged, doing. you zagged. Yeah. I mean, and, and we were all still friends, you know, and it was all cool, but people just like sat there and laughed at me because I was usually doing something that no one else was. And, and like, what were your, what were your friends thinking? I mean, at, at the age of 14, I bet you were one of the only ones that actually had a job and this was like a real job. I mean, were you like the cool kid, you had some extra cash to, you know, Go buy more more toys that they tried to get your mall. employee discount. Yeah. Go to the mall, yeah. right? They, they to, say, Carol, what's your employee discount over there? Let me let me backtrack for a second. I'm always curious. And if you don't mind me asking, what did your parents do for a living? So my dad actually founded a food kind of a, a founded a brand within a large company. So he was uh, that you you may be familiar with called Healthy Choice. And so he founded that brand in they purchased by Canagra? Niagara? Yeah, so they were at, originally founded an inside of uh, of Armor Food Company, and then they got acquired by Conagra. So I learned all about you know large companies acquiring other companies. You know, didn't know what I was learning at the time, but I learned about that. And uh, the interesting thing is, uh, my mom actually was an art history major, 
And what, you know, what's fascinating to me that I didn't appreciate till much later in life was that, you know, for somebody, she lived in Edina, Minnesota. If you know where Edina, that's where she grew up. No and idea. It's I'd be lying if I said I did. It's well, like, I did right, Minneapolis. It's you like, know, <laughs> it's the Midwest, but she would have been uh, early 90s. For somebody in the Midwest to go to college, she went to university in Minnesota. She was a woman. You know, she's an art history major, um, you know pretty incredible. I mean, there aren't a lot of people, unless you lived in New York City or Chicago at that age who went to college. And so anyway, so she went to University of Minnesota. And, um, and when, when she was having kids, then she stopped working and she stayed home with the kids. And then when I, I mean, I think there was a countdown going on in her head thinking- When is Kara going to be out of the house? <laughs> as soon as Kara goes to school. And so, I mean, almost as soon as I started kindergarten, she woke up and said, I want to go into fashion. And my dad was like, wait, what? We're living in Scottsdale. And, uh, you know, he was very supportive of her. But the one thing that he worried about was that he was going to have to have Stouffer's TV dinners. And I'll never forget it. He thought, I don't know if you remember Stouffer's TV of dinners, course. but that for I'm my dad young. was like, you know, that that was just the end. And most people would actually learn how to cook, but not my dad. He was just, he wanted, you know, the meals done quickly. And so he worked for a food company. And I think along the way, my mom probably said, well, you work for a food company. I mean, maybe you should just, make a better stuff. Why don't you dinner. just figure it out? <laughs> yeah, figure it out. And so she, and so he did. And that was, you know, the beginnings of, of, you know, so what you, became a very large, uh, run for Conagra. So, you, so you've had this entrepreneur, it's in the blood, you know, we talk about nature versus nurture. I mean, you've had it in the blood. A lot of entrepreneurs don't have that, you know, both my parents are teachers and I've gone, gone this path. So there's, there's two different schools of thought to that. So let's fast forward. And after university, you jump into corporate America. Did you know, like at that first job when you were, you know, what you know, were back in the day, a time, whether it be time, CNN, uh, even AOL that like, I don't want to work for other people. I want to do something myself. Did you ever yeah, have that? Not moment? at all. I mean, people have asked me that too. They say, do you hate working for people? Is that why you want to be an entrepreneur? And I'm like, no, I actually really like people a lot, but I think for me, hint, my, my company, my day job, uh, started off it really by accident. And um, I think thinking back on it, when I moved from New York to San Francisco back in 1995, I, for me, Silicon Valley in San Francisco was Steve Jobs. And I had been, yeah, I had an thing. iMac in college and. Oh, you know, you're one of the cool kids. I, I were you, were was. You one, of the art, you, one of the artsy kids. I remember it was the artsy kids that had the Macs. No, yeah, I was a no. journalism major and I was so tired of typing papers on that freaking like typewriter. <laughs> and all of a sudden the iMac came out and uh, all my toy from the toy store money, you know, I ended up buying a Macintosh. I, I you know, I, I will venture to say that there weren't very many females who actually knew who Steve Jobs was. I mean, yeah. in, back then, and I was obsessed with like the design and, you know, the, the small, I mean, they were larger than yeah, they, they are were. even today, but, but they were, they were, the design of it for me just drew me in. And then obviously it was easier than a typewriter and, uh, and much more convenient. And so when I moved to Silicon Valley, I thought, gosh, 
I wonder if I could just get a job at Apple. And then I kept thinking to myself, well, how's that going to happen? Because I've worked at Time and I've worked at CNN, but I haven't worked in tech. And so that, that's when I really – actually, my husband um, is, a, is a lawyer, and he had access to this, this system. This is like before Google, Google called LexisNexis, mm-hmm. and it allowed you to go and look up companies. And so I would get on his system, and I started looking around for different um, you know, articles on Steve Jobs. And then I saw that there was this spin-out of Apple – that was in San Mateo. I had driven by San Mateo, so I kind of knew where that was. It wasn't in San Francisco, but I close enough. And I thought, maybe I could go and find a way to go work for somebody that would actually give me the thinking of Steve Jobs. And so there were five guys, not in a garage, but in an office in San Mateo, all different experiences, all wearing jeans and T-shirts, and uh, very different than the culture that I had lived in in New York. And I remember, you know, talking to all of them. I cold called and said, hey, I just came out here and uh, I, I don't know anybody, but I think it's really cool that you guys are doing this CD-ROM shopping thing. And, uh, and that's when it, 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 it's funny because I, I remember it so clearly that I don't even think they asked me what I did for CNN or Time, but something my dad always said to me is brands matter and they just matter. And, and he said, they'll always matter. And I, and so that was when I went in and, you know, had a conversation with these guys. And then they said, well, do you think you'd ever like want to come work for us? I mean, I think they were drawn by, they weren't, they didn't even look at my resume. They were drawn by the brands that I worked for. What's that? Yeah, I'm saying, I was about to say, like, what was it? I mean, it was a different than your traditional corporate America when your resume is everything. They took a different yeah, approach. Yeah, but I think that they they were all Silicon Valley people, and then they thought, oh, wow, she's worked in media. This is kind of media, and maybe she'll bring something. And, and I said, well, what would I do for you guys? And they said, maybe you could go out to these catalogers and talk to them and sell them and business. I said, yeah, maybe. And they, and I'll never forget this one thing that that one of the guys said to me. He said, do you think you can contribute? And I thought, wow, that, you know, and I said, yeah, I think I can. And it didn't matter what my, you know, education, where, where I was educated, how much education I had, they wanted to know, would I be enjoyable to work with? And would I contribute? And I think that that is something that fast forward and starting my own company, I mean, it's sort of, I think about that a lot and, and it really is how great companies are made. You can, you can go have a great idea. You can, you know, build a team, but at the end of the day, if you don't really, if, if you don't have contributors, I mean, they're, they're sort of the, you know, they're the, the, the bad in the chain, right? They're the people that, that can't, that you're trying to figure out how to, you know, make up for what they're not doing or, you know, they're not speaking or whatever it is. And, and so I think that that was like a key thing that I learned. So let me ask you this, and I was going to save it for later, but based on that point, I'd be remiss not to ask, at Hint now, when you're hiring, how much does that play into the interview process when you're having conversations? And I assume at this stage, you know, you're, you're hiring more the, the mid-senior level folks. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but how does that play into how you interview and the questions that you ask to really find 
the right people who are those contributors who are going to make a great contribution to your, to your organization and be part of the culture. Yeah, I mean, I think that one key thing is is that when you're when you're sort of this underdog, right? You're this underdog company. I mean, even though we're 15 years old, I still think that we operate very much like a startup. That's you know, as I always, I think about our company as the puzzle never ends, right? It just I like, like that. it just that. right. You <laughs> just keep adding on to it, and that's what building. I mean, not only building a company, but also building a category, and uh, and. So with that, you have to have people that have that mindset. And I'm, I'm a huge believer that, it, that the people that have that mindset are really the ones that not only have you know, tenacity and resilience and all that kind of stuff, but, and maybe you can see that stuff in, in the resume, but I think more than anything, you also want to look for curiosity, right? And you want to Being inquisitive. See what, Right. And you want to see what kind of questions they're asking. And it's not obviously if you're, you know, the CEO coming in and you're talking to a 21 year old. I mean, it's just it's scary. Right. It doesn't matter even if I smile and I give them a hug or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's still, no. But yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But you want to see what kind of questions they they ask and and, you know, how they're and I think you can tell a lot about somebody, how they think about something that they're not you know, canned questions or, you know, they're not trying to figure out what time do I have to be in the office or what, you know, or whatever that, you know, I, I don't know, in a, in a virtual world, whatever it is, you know, yeah. what, what's my camera going to look like or whatever, you know. No, and I, but, and I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's a tremendous question because, you know, I'm a recruiter, my day job, I'm a recruiter, I have a recruiting consultancy. And I always say the candidates that ask the best questions during the interview, that's a telltale sign. Because they're it inquisitive. Is. That's inquisitive. Being inquisitive is such a tremendous trait. So I'd be remiss if I have Kara Golden on my show and I don't ask this question, what was the impetus behind Hintmore? Let's rewind. Let's take it back 2002, 2003. And just for a point of reference, my first real job out of school, I was working in a little company in Queens called Vitamin Water. So I was in deep with the big geyser guys over there. Uh, Darius and I did and not that know that. Oh, that's That was my that's first incredible. job out of school. I was doing fulfillment. So I got hired, and uh, Rohan Oza was. We came on board to to head up marketing over there, and it was it was fantastic. So that was my first foray into it. But I remember I heard about you know it was that was a, a sweetened product, very sweet, and I forgot the type of sugar. I used to be able to remember it, different type of non fructose glucose. But what was it? Were you like were you like I'm tired of all this sugary stuff. I'm tired of soda. What was that impetus that said, hmm, I could do something what better was and it? different? Yeah. So I was. Uh... I didn't actually drink a lot of sugar, and for me, it was diet sweetener. So my um, my best friend was to? diet was diet coke, and mm. I drank diet coke. I mean, I remember this actually from you know way back when when my my mom was a tab drinker, and so of course as a teenager, a high school kid, I'm not going to drink tab. I was not that cool, I went, right? I went from coke. I never was going to drink tab and diet Coke came out when I was in high school. And I remember, I mean, they supposedly didn't have like field marketing and, and stuff back then. I mean, I remember just getting handed diet Coke. I mean, and just, and thinking, eh, this tastes pretty good. I mean, it's not tab and it, it tastes pretty good. So I started drinking it and then I started drinking more of it and it was, and 
I never really thought that it was a problem because the word diet to me equated to health. And I just continued to drink it. And then, like I said, I mean, you know, working my buns off, enjoying my, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing in life. And the, my startup was acquired by America Online. I was running AOL's e-commerce and shopping partnerships for seven years. And, you know, it was a crazy, crazy ride. I was on the plane all the time. I had three young time. kids and under the age of four um, at the time. And that's when I, it was a billion dollars in revenue for AOL and I decided it's time to leave. And, um, and that's when, while I was taking this break after AOL, that's when I really started thinking, I'm gonna get myself in shape because I had gained weight. I didn't even know how much weight I had gained to be honest with you. I mean, Adam, I had gained over 50 pounds wow. over the course of, and as my girlfriend, uh, still one of my best friends, lives in Vegas, is hysterical. She is, she, I'll never forget, she said this to me. She said, Kara, you wear your weight well. And I'm still it's Such a backhanded thinking, compliment, right? It's like, <laughs> thanks. I've heard that myself too. It's called, sorry, I wear, you know, dark colors, right? Like, yeah, says, I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? What did you just say to me? And I remember it was that statement where I just said, oh my gosh, this, something's got to change. So I knew how to work out. I was a competitive athlete growing up and I, I started running, doing all these things. Nothing was working. And that's when I started some diets. I'd never dieted before in my life. Um, I was reading labels. I was, you know, really interested in all these different ingredients. And that's when I, one day I'd pretty much given up on sort of this whole diet and reading, uh, labels thing. And my diet Coke was staring at me in the face. This is before I had to wear glasses. And, uh, I looked down and it was 10 calories and there were all these different ingredients. And I thought, why is it that I'm giving a pass to my diet drink? But I'm for food, I would not be eating this. And hmm. so I thought, I'm going to test this and see what happens. I didn't think there was going to be any difference. And in two and a half weeks, I lost over 20 pounds, 24 pounds. In Just from cutting Diet Coke out. Diet Coke. And wow. it was, and after about three days, I got really thirsty and I started drinking water. And I remember saying to my husband, I said, you know, I've always known that water tastes better, but I'm, I'm sorry that water Shocking. is boring, <laughs> but it doesn't taste good to me. I mean, it's just blah. It's like, there's nothing to it. And that's when I said, you know, I've been told for years, eight glasses of water, whatever, I get it, but I just don't do it. And I'll end up, and that's why I drink so much Diet Coke. And then I had all this fruit on my counter. I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in the water. And so two and a half weeks later, I lost all this weight. In addition, it was I had adult acne on my skin, which I never had even as a teenager. And it had shown up over the last few years. And then uh, my energy levels just suddenly just flew back up again. And Good old uh, water. I had heard about vitamin water, actually. And uh, but, you know, it just wasn't my thing. And I and. I think it's, I just mentioned vitamin water because what's funny, Adam, is when I, it took me about a year to go into the local store and uh, I started looking for this product because it was much more convenient to go buy a product that was pre-made, like my Diet Coke, and it wasn't there. And I remember the guy that was stocking the shelves at Whole Foods said, oh, there's this product called vitamin water. 
And I turned the bottle of vitamin water around, and there was no diet version of vitamin water at the yeah. time. Crystalline fructose, that's what it was. Yeah, and but there was no, it, it had a ton of calories. There oh, was yeah. no diet version of it. So I turn it around, and the guy who's you know stocking the shelves, he said, uh, he he said you should try vitamin water. And I said, oh, but that has a lot of stuff in it too, and it has all these calories. He said, wow, like the word vitamin Makes sort of think. led me to believe vitamins equal healthy, diet equals healthy. That's not right. true. And so that's what I said to him. I was like, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. I that that was me. And so we and so what I found in this that was really, really interesting was not only was I educating myself, but I felt like I had stumbled upon something that a lot of people were, you know, you can't be really? the only one. If you have this thought, you cannot be the only one in in your universe. In the universe, no yeah, way. Yeah, but people were not. They they just weren't paying attention. And you know, at, what I talk about a lot now is that I didn't realize for a couple of months. I knew I was launching a product and launching a company, but I didn't know I was launching a new category. And so by this, I mean that it was, uh, you know, launching a company is like climbing a mountain. Launching a category is like climbing Everest and Love you know that. and and so not only I had two customers that needed to be educated one was the stores and then the buyer that was going to allow me to be on the shelf and the other was the consumer and so I would go in I'd say here's hint water tastes great you know want to try it and they'd say okay well we have this planogram and the planogram is water and diet soda and soda and we have enhanced water, but that all has sweeteners in it. So where do like, you Where's fit? this going to fit in? Where's the shelf? And I basically? said, I'm, I'm a new category. And they say, like, against our pay grade, we can't allow <laughs> you to go in there. I cannot make space on the shelf for your unknown category. It's yeah. not going to happen. Mean, back then, <laughs> there was no direct-to-consumer business. Right. There was no e-commerce or something like this. I mean, right. they weren't shipping. Fast forward years later, I mean, over 50% of our business right now is direct to consumer. Tremendous. And Tremendous. so, it, but it wasn't happening then. And, and so anyway, it, it, you know, it was an interesting, definitely an interesting time. And, you know, a lot of people have asked me why I wrote the book, because I would share these stories, like some of the ones that I'm talking to you about right now. And it's, um, you know, so many, you just couldn't make it up. I mean, so many things along the way that were just crazy to people. And, and what was what would you say is was the 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 hardest lesson? Obviously, like the hardest lesson that you did not expect coming when you launched in those early days. One of those hit you over the head, punch you in the face kind of moments, where you doubted. Maybe you doubted yourself, and maybe you didn't doubt yourself, but maybe you doubted yourself and questioned, "Am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing?" I have small kids at home. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Was there that moment? Oh, there were so many moments. I mean, there were so many moments along the way. It's like, you know, I don't know about you, but you, at, you know, at points along the way, you get energized and you think, okay, I'm gonna go try and get a product on the shelf at Whole Foods. But then that little voice in your head says, well, what if the guy isn't at Whole Foods? Or what if he says no, right? It's just getting the product on the shelf. And then, you know, it expands from there where, you know, the kids were at home. I had I had four kids under the age of six. I, I was not the profile of. How are you doing this? How did I know, you manage? Insane. And I had I had help, and you know, my husband, who was a Silicon Valley, you know, intellectual property attorney, is uh, he was taking a break as well, and and uh, 
I mean, I, I laughed because he didn't think this was a great idea. He said, you've had a lot of great ideas, but <laughs> this one is not one of them. But, um, but I think, you know, he, he would say that he joined primarily because uh, I was writing like $50,000 checks off our personal bank account. He said, you can spend money like <laughs> like no other person. So I'm going to hang out and help you schlep the cases around a little I bit. And, uh, and then I think what, what he saw that, you know, he really didn't know that he, uh, he does, he's an accidental entrepreneur as well, that he really saw that there was purpose here and that my, my whole purpose in starting this company then and still today is I didn't think I, I, I don't view it as a beverage company. I view it as a company that is helping people change their health I love and it. educating people. And that was my whole purpose from day one. And the beverage was the tool. And that that's it. Kara, what was the biggest challenge you faced educating consumers about this new category? So I remember going in uh, and going in not only to buyers, it, it was really the same thing as well as consumers and uh, or consumers would try it and they'd say, oh, this is really great. It's an unsweetened flavored water. What's it sweetened with? And I, I'm like, okay, there's no sweeteners. And they say, well, well what is, is there <laughs> crystalline fructose? Is there, uh, you know, at that time sucralose or any? Nope, nothing. And they'd say, Oh, well, it tastes, it tastes sweet. And I said, actual, it's fruit. It's actual right? fruit. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and crazy, so, crazy. That actual real fruit is actually sweet. It actually adds a flavor that tastes like the actual fruit. Crazy concept. Yeah, and here. so people, so it was just, people would sit there and you could just see their brain kind of working in the process. But, but it was funny because, you know, we didn't have the, I mean, vitamin water was was confusing for people Very. against hint, right? Because people would say, "Oh, well, there's vitamin water," and we'd say, "We're it's just a very different product. It's a different category. It's just it's a very very different product." And what we realized after a while, I mean, the real hook for us, we didn't have the money to go out and outspend vitamin water or any of these other drinks, and we just we just didn't have it. I was self financing the company for the first couple of years. So what we figured out, it, there's this interesting little thing that happens with water where, uh, you know, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward, but, uh, but with events. So if you do an event in a city and you get some sort of permit, you have to, if it's over a certain number of people, you have to have water right. for the people that are attending. So we would start getting phone calls because people would think, oh, there's that new water and they'd hit us up for it. And... So what we realized is that a lot of people would, you know, for these runs or, you know, PTA or whatever it was, they would then reach out to us and I'd say, hey, you know, where did you hear about it? And they'd say, well, your product sponsored our event. And what I realized is that there is this connection when people are spending their Saturday going to something that they care about, some cause, and we're sponsoring that event, they would feel connected to us and they'd want to know what our connection was to it. And, uh, you know, sometimes we did have it and sometimes we didn't, we just said, no, it sounded like a great event and we wanted to, you know, give water to it. And they'd say, that's really great. Well, thank you for doing that. And so suddenly there, there was this gratitude feeling where, you know, we just 
said, gosh, that, you know, this is what we're doing. And, you know, what was interesting, so many of those people then would go into their local store and they'd ask for our product. You and created so the just, demand. It created the brand. The, the brand created its own demand. So you find your audiences and, you know, and again, you know, people would say, oh, you guys are, you know, so authentic. We, you know, we didn't really seek these things out. We weren't, you, you know. can't seek authentic. Authentic is just what you are. It's yeah. just real. And, you can't fake it. And that's what we did. And, you know, when people would say, oh, well, Vitamin Water is doing this event and they're paying $50,000. You know, my response was like, you, sh you should take the $50,000. Like, it's like a nonprofit. I mean, <laughs> you know, go, I said, go for it. that sounds great. I mean, I would sell against us on, on this stuff. And, and again, people would come back later on and, and say, I remember when you said that. And I said, yeah, sounds like me. I probably did say that. <laughs> and, and Kara, I want to be conscious of your time and make sure that we do talk about your, your book, Undaunted, that came out in October. And you've unpacked tons of stories here and you do it on so many other shows. But I wanted to ask you, what was that process like for you writing a book? What did you learn about yourself through the journey of actually writing the book? So I started the book because I was traveling so much to do talks and, and also just through my ventures with, with Hint. And, you know, rather than sitting in my Holiday Inn Express in towns that I didn't know anybody <laughs> in, you know, I, I and watching CNN, I, I decided I would start journaling about five years ago. And so that journal really stemmed from that Q&A that came after the talks and people would ask questions. And I felt like there was a strong opinion about entrepreneurs, no matter what the industry or gender, that they were fearless risk takers and that they were born that way and that they you know, were either unicorns or they were you know, failures. And I thought there's so much in between. Yeah, and, it's tough to polarize. And that, you know, needs to be told. And so I'd, I'd start journaling my thoughts. And then I started talking more and more about this stuff. And, and I think I felt like uh, about two years ago, that's when I said, this should just be, my journal should be bound because it can really help a lot of people. I didn't even think of it as a book. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of people have books on their or becoming a published author as on their bucket list it was not on mine i was a journalism major and it still wasn't on mine i really was not thinking in that direction but um i learned a lot about you know publishing as well and you know just as, as just one example i mean when i was shopping the the my journal essentially and talking about this you know there were there were a handful of publishers that I was talking to that did not want me to, they wanted me to publish their book. They didn't want to publish the book that I wanted. And it hmm. sounds sort of like ironic a little bit, but it was, it, it's an interesting thing, especially about women executives where, you know, it was, uh, did you not want to work for anybody? Did you have a terrible time in Silicon Valley? Did you, you know, and you were trying to pull out I, the negative. Yeah. And I, it just was not, I mean, that wasn't the story. That's not your story. Yeah. And anybody who's read this book will, will see that, you know, I, I, I mean, I go at it, right? Like there were moments where, you know, it wasn't all pretty. And, but Never at is. the end of the day, it's just, are you going to let those things stop you and block you? Or do you, keep moving on. And I think I really wanted to write the story of saying that it wasn't easy all the time. And there were moments when I thought we had to, you know, close up shop and, you know, 
We always made payroll for the last 15 years. That was the first thing that, you know, that we never, ever missed it. And, you know, we always thought about things like that. And people, other entrepreneurs need to hear those things and, and, you know, think about those things. And those are things that I, you know, think about and I pride myself on. Anyway, I wanted to get those messages out, but that was probably the biggest piece. And what was the, the biggest fear or doubt that you had in your life that you overcame that you truly felt was important to tell everybody so they could learn from it? I mean, I think it's the building of hint because I, you know, put a bunch of blocks in front of myself when I started this company thinking, you know, I, I've never started a company before. I'm not in the beverage industry. Uh, you know, people were saying to me, do you realize how competitive the beverage industry is? You're, um, you know, you guys have no experience, uh, by the way, for kids under the age of six, I was not the profile. Um, my husband was, you know, joining me, but and smart guy, lawyer, but didn't have beverage experience either. And so, again, I think you're always going to have your own doubts, but then you've got the doubters. You know, the family's the worst, right? Because they don't want you to take risks. And your friends, I mean, like, imagine this, Adam. I mean, here's this tech executive who did just fine. And, you know, we're redoing a house in San Francisco. And and uh, I would take early that I take, you know, samples of Hint. And I, there was a private school right across the street from my house. And I knew some of the moms, but not all of them. But they would come into the lineup at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I would ask my babysitter to make sure to watch the kids so I could run samples over of new flavors. That's how I got people to try it. So I'd sit there while they're driving to research. the line. That was my research. Yep, I never, I and I'd say, will you just try this? And they were like, I don't know. I liked that one from yesterday. They never got out of the car and people were dying. I mean, they, they were just, they say, wait, what are you doing? Did you used to work at Coke before? I didn't. No, and they're no. like, wait, why aren't you working at, like, why don't you go work at Google or something? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I will, but I'm going to do this now. Yeah. And that, and that was really, uh, because I, and I was interested and I was passionate about it because I was learning so much, Adam. Is it that, I mean, I, I'm, I, I consider myself an entrepreneur. I'm building my company. I'm building the media side to it. And I really think the true entrepreneurship is in here. And it's that drive to, to continue to build and grow. And, and for me, it's hard to explain to somebody because I, I say it's a feeling. And when you know it, you know it. You know, yeah. people ask me about the definition of an entrepreneur. And I stopped asking that question a lot because I think it's really, well, it's really hard to define what it is because it's different for everybody. But I always say that it's inside. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. So many people said to me when I was starting Hint, don't you think it's risky that you're, well, first of all, they said, don't you think it's risky when I took a couple of years off after leaving AOL? They said, so when are you going to go back to work? And I said, when, like, how long do you think I can stay off work? And because, I mean, I'm taking care of kids. I am working. I am working. What do you think? And they said, I don't know, six months, a year, you know, two years was way too long. And after a while, I realized that nobody actually knew what the answer was, right? They would all come up with these opinions and they all varied so much. And then one day I remember somebody saying this to me, you know, how long are you going to stay off work? And aren't, don't you think it's risky? And I looked at, I looked at him and I said, you know, Here's how I'm thinking about it. If you think that I was a good executive before and I, and I was smart and I was, you know, a contributor, you wanted me on the team, then 
does it really matter how much time I'm taking off? Because I, I pick up on things quickly. I can build teams. I'm a revenue producer. I have great ideas. All these, I'm scrappy. I can do lots of different things. I've worked in different industries, all these things. And so if I go start a company like Hint and it fails, don't you think it's just going to be like one more point to the story? And people said, well, I don't huh. know. And, you know, and so I never really thought it was as risky as everybody else did. I mean, as a recruiter, don't you, you when you hear people talk about their failures and you talk, I mean, if people say, even people I interview, if they say that they got fired, I, I'm like, why did you get fired? And, you know, I, I remember in early days of Hint, people would say, oh, he got fired. You know, and I said, why did he get fired? I don't know, but he got fired. And I said, no, you want to hear the story. Like, oh, why yeah. did he get fired? Oh, right? I, got a, I got a good story for you off, off camera, how Gary V fired me. We'll talk about that. We'll oh. talk about that afterwards. But I'd be remiss also, again, if I don't talk about the Kara Golden show, and I say this all the time, Kara, my show is my masterclass for me, my own personal yeah. masterclass, yeah. where I get to interview amazing folks like yourself and learn and absorb and put it all together. So for the Kara Golden show, what is like... Give me an example of one guest that maybe, I, I wanna say maybe it was an underdog, maybe you weren't expecting such an amazing story, someone that really blew your mind and taught you something completely new. Gosh, there's so many. Um, I actually just got off the phone with him. Do you know Guy Kawasaki? Oh my God, he I would love, yeah, he's, I've known him for a long, I've known of him for a long time. Oh, he's amazing. He actually, we were we were just talking about legend. different platforms on, uh, you know, and, and he, of course, I mean, I'll never forget when I gave him a pre-copy of the book and tried to get him to do a quote on the back of my book. And I've known him for a long time, but, you know, I don't talk to him daily, but uh, he, he said, hey, can I talk to you on the phone for a second? I thought, oh, great. He's going to tell me he hates the book and he's not going to give me a quote. And he <laughs> it's said, the last thing I'm doing. And and he <laughs> said, uh, uh, he said, so why do you think people would, uh, after reading your book, why do you think they'd want to be an entrepreneur? And I said, because uh, I'm still smiling. And he said, <laughs> no. Uh, he said, you know, seriously. And I said, because there's so many lessons and it's about your journey and what you learn along the way. And those the are the best, those, you know, those are the best stories where we can all learn from those things. And of course he did the quote on the back, but you know, I think that I, I had him on my podcast and uh, you know, obviously I knew, as I mentioned, I knew who Steve jobs was way early on. I met guy Actually, Guy had started this thing back in my AOL days of garage.com. And so I knew who he was. And um, But He's anyway, I sort of geeked out on him, on, on Steve Jobs, and, you know, just some of the things that he learned along the way. And, you know, he wasn't always the most, as, as we've all read in the, the storybooks now on, on Steve, is he wasn't the most pleasant person in the, in the world. Um, but he was also... I, what I find oftentimes with, you know, visionaries and founders is that they're just thinking about a lot, right? And they're just really, and it's really hard. I mean, you're just, you're trying to solve problems all the time and there's a lot going on in your head, right? And so, and you have this timeline and it, which, you know, you can come off as a jerk, a bitch, whatever, you know, and, and, and I, I just felt like, just by talking to somebody like Guy and kind of hearing those stories, the early stories of Steve and sort of other founders, I mean, we really have related to that. And 
at the net net of it, I think it for us, I mean, just even just talking to Guy a few minutes ago, I'm talking to him about, you know, the tools and some stuff that I can look on YouTube and find out some of the stuff, but I'm like, Guy, will you tell me this stuff? You know, give me the, give me the, the you know, the cheat sheet on it. And, uh, and again, I, I just think more than anything, having that network out there that is, you know, no matter, even if you're the CEO of a company or you're, or, you know, I, it, it's, it's always wanting to learn. I think Guy, we share that. So that's tremendous. Kara, what keeps you up at night these days? Uh, my dog, Buster. Who, uh, <laughs> Love the little Buster answer. Love it. Poor Buster. Okay, so Buster and Sadie. <laughs> if, um, yeah, so Buster is, uh, is almost 12 years old. They're two Labradors. But Buster's really bummed out because um, I have three kids in college now, and they're not here. Oh, lonely. And so they used to, you know, stay up there were nights that they were playing Fortnite till i hate to say it till 1 2 a.m especially during the pandemic and you know and then waking up in their pajamas and going to school and you know whatever and so he you know he was right there he lived this like 24 hour you know have fun life he's out oh, the dog jacuzzi. living their lives yeah jacuzzi and now it's like okay buster 10 o'clock let's go to bed and so he's like 2 a.m party's over party's over he buster he paused me at 10 at 2 a.m. He's like, come on, Fortnite, you know, let's do it. Oh, man, that's that's crazy. So let's so let's bring it home here. I love asking my guests, all my guests this question. Kara, what is the greatest piece of advice that you have ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? The dots eventually connect. And I think about it. I, I say it every day. Love it. I to, and that sometimes when you're in some you know, challenging situation, you or something just doesn't make sense. You're not really sure why it's there. And I, I sit there and I go through this process. I'm like, that was it. I know exactly why that was there or that person was there. And now they're not here or whatever it is along. The, and I always with that, too, I always try and find, especially when the dots connect, I try and find the good. I'm always like, like looking for the looking for the good in every sort of challenging time along the way. So speaking of challenging times, the last 12 months have been challenging for every human being on this planet. And I like to see the good. I like to see the silver lining. So I'd love if you could share, Kara, one personal and one professional silver lining that you've experienced in the last 12 months during the pandemic. So uh, I'll go with professionally first. The, um, you know, I would say that being a little bit paranoid I, and I, so not having experience along the way you realize as i've always said to people we have more people in our company that did not come from the beverage industry that are just smart and they want to learn and they're inquisitive and all Good that people. kind of stuff but along the way you know you start to do things because we we wanted to scale for example so we really put an emphasis on automation hmm. and so and it got to a point where we're like wait why are we doing this? Why don't we, why do we really care about automation? I mean, you know, and, and we kept thinking because we don't have any preservatives in our product that at the end of the day, if somebody sneezed on the line, for example, that, I mean, vitamin water has tons of preservatives in it, right? Probably doesn't matter. For our product, it really matters. And so we went from two years ago having four people on the, in the room where the bottles filled to one. And then at the end of last year, right before the pandemic, down to zero. 
And so, you know, we thought, okay, you know, like we didn't have a party or anything. We just thought, all right, that's fine. What we realized when the pandemic hit, that it was a really big deal. And there were plants that did not, were never paranoid and were not set up and, and that were not prepared. Our e-commerce business, which was already set up, was, uh, we started seven years ago, tripled this year. And our overall business grew 50%. And I think a lot of the reason is, is that people were not, they were sort of living in this world of, we don't need to innovate. Everything's fine. You just keep going the way you do the same thing day after Groundhog Day. But we have always been a little bit paranoid. And then finally, I think personally, um, you know, I think like everybody else, the the pandemic is, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword, right? I'm, I'm happy that people I think are all over the world are more focused on health, um, being able to spend some more time with my kids uh, prior to them taking off and, you know, just few weeks ago um happy that we were able to spend a little bit more time um together then and and uh yeah i i think more than anything i'm i'm excited like everybody else to to you know get traveling again and explore we and will get back people. to that we will we will certainly get back to that. and Kara, last but not least you look back on on your life and your career you know pre-hint building hint to where hint is now you look back at those hard times, professionally and personally, when you had to really dig down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity to pull yourself up and out of something. And in the same breath, when you look back now and you show gratitude and appreciation for everything that you've done, everything you built, that bottle that you're holding in your hand that you look at every single day and say, I created this. Kara Golden, what is your North Star? Helping. I think more than like looking for that, that it's, it's the helper more than anything. That's tremendous. Karen, I want to thank you for joining me and spending time with me and my audience today. This has been absolutely incredible. Um, everybody, please find out more at Hintwater. Check out drinkhint.com. Check out Kara's book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, and connect with Kara. Where can they connect with you? LinkedIn, Twitter. Instagram, what's your best? Kara Golden with an I, and I would love to hear from you. And uh, if you guys are interested in the entrepreneurial journey, Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, and and uh, read it while you're drinking hint. Totally safe. Double up on it. And thank you for everybody listening. And please be sure to join us next week, and we'll be back. And for more, check out thepodcast.com and all your social media channels. Subscribe, comment, and if you love this episode, give it a like, give it a share. It goes a long way. Remember, take care of each other, stay six feet apart. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>